the greatest investment God could ever make, the greatest investment anybody could ever make, was seen in what God has done. And He did not invest in anything but a human being. For it is the most or the best investment there is. In one second, God's investment will turn from mortality to immortality. From the ability to die to an ability to live forever, to be in the very being of God. He came and invested His being in dust, and that dust will in one second become as God. Even in physical form. What an investment. It will be forever. Forever. (laughs) And that is you. That's me. And you know, when you start to look at this gospel, and you apply it to your finances, you start to see from a different perspective. It doesn't matter, you know, what you wear. It doesn't matter what you drive. It doesn't matter where you stay. What matters is people. The value of people. Now, I want to say this to you. You can't decide that. You can't decide, well, people are now going to be more valuable to me. (laughs) Forget that. You know, this, I'm talking about a fruit of applying the cross to your money. Saying, the person of God is enough to meet all my needs. I don't have to do anything outside simply knowing who Christ is and that is enough for me, knowing that He loves me and cares for me. If I, if, if, listen, I've seen parents with their kids. If the, if the child comes, he says, Mama, Mama, Sunny has so and so gemaakt by die school, and Jannie maakt so and so by die school. Who do they believe? The, the, the mom. He believes, she believes her child. That's the way it is. The first thing you do, the most natural thing you do, is you first believe your child. So, if somebody comes, and if your child comes and says, Listen, man, you know, Wim so and so has molested me. Who are you going to believe? You're going to believe your child. And you're not going to say, Ach, no, man, you're just fooling around, go play there. You're not going to do that. You're going to believe your child. Now, if we as normal human beings believe our children and our belief in them is born out of our love, how much more does God not believe in us? For the Bible says, love believes all things. (laughs) So God believes in you. If He didn't believe in you, He would have never made the investment. He did. In, he didn't just, you know, you know, we see it as He gave His Son. He gave Himself and placed Himself in human flesh. Therefore, God was born in flesh called the Son of God. Born of God. Human flesh with God inside. Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. Meeting every need that there is. Every definition of lack. Every definition you can give to lack has been met in Christ. The need to be righteous, the need to be holy, the need to stand blameless before God has been met in one act of obedience of God in human form on your behalf. It's like I said this morning as well, you know, you, there's a time in your life when you hear the good news and it's awesome for you. It's like the seed that's sown on the rocks. You know, with a shallow ground. It comes up, it springs up, there's, there's immediate joy. And then there's a time in your life when you start to study this word. And you start to think more about this word. You start to ponder about it, uh, on it. And you start to understand it more. And then you get a lot of knowledge about this. And somebody can say, 
and, and, and I see this on, on the forum a lot, you know. Um, you'll make a statement, somebody will come quickly and will make another statement along the same lines with scriptures and everything because people get a lot of knowledge about this message, which is wonderful. But what I've seen in my life is then there comes a time when you believe it. <laughs> when you really believe, there's nothing that can add to you. When you really believe, it doesn't matter what you lose, nothing can take anything away from you. Because your value has, has been uh, uh, defined in the resurrected Christ. When that becomes real, when you believe it, when you, your whole persuasion is that. Amen. When you don't decide to be happy, when your joy is connected <laughs> to your, who you really are. And I want to say this when it comes to money. When it comes to money, we don't prosper through our works. The Bible says, in Afrikaans said it so mooi, hy sê, die seen van die Heere maak reik, en moeitevolle arbeid, voeg niks daartoe by nie. The blessing of the Lord makes rich, and what is it, how does it go in the English? And adds no sorrow to it. Afrikaans says it better. It says, and hard work cannot add anything to it. Isn't that beautiful? So I want to say to you, the blessing of the Lord maketh you rich. Let's just talk a little bit straight out finances. They, um, they say that if you own a car, a television, and a microwave, you're under the top 7% income in the world. You are the 7% richest people. So stop moaning. <laughs> it is. Look in South Africa. How many people own a car, have a television, and a microwave? I almost start to feel guilty if I look at that definition. I start to feel, Lord, you know, I can make a couple of people rich in a day. Imagine. Imagine. So, we, we can see ourselves where we are. And so many times we, we look at what we don't have and look at what the other one does have and then we want to look at the difference and measure our prosperity to how far we are behind or ahead. And that is not God's way of measuring. That's not God's way. So I want to say to you, to, to, to get fear out of your heart concerning money, there's only one way. Know this, and this is the, the deepest teaching on money there is in the Bible. Jesus taught this. He says, look at the birds of the air. They neither sow or reap. They, they don't have the sowing and reaping principle. Neither gather into barns. <laughs> They're not on the stock market. And yet, your heavenly Father feeds them. And then He gives the principle for provision. Are you not worth more than they? God does not have a works provision. He's got a worth provision. We are, and our worth has been defined in the being of Jesus. We've got the same worth as Jesus. That's as surely as what God provides for Jesus on the basis of His obedience. That's how He provides for us on the basis of the obedience of Christ 
on our behalf. We know Jesus died for us, but we must also know He obeyed for us. Hallelujah. In the area of finances. So, we don't fear. Why? Because our mind is at rest in the loving person of God. When we know who He is, our mind is at rest. Hallelujah. It's like that with presidents of countries, with headmasters of schools. When you know who the headmaster is and you like who he is, the moment he governs the thing, you are at rest. Because you rest in who he is. That's why it's so important to know who God is. Now, I don't know what you think of this, but this is what I think. If So many times we think, you know, and, and I've listened to a guy on television um, the other night. I don't watch TV a lot. But the other night I just went and I sat down there and I scrolled through some channels. And this guy preached and he said, if you don't give the alabaster flask giving, do you know what that is? That is, <laughs> you know this woman came to Jesus and she took her very most expensive perfume and broke it and gave it and, and, and anointed him. You know, Jesus said that was actually a prophetic action. That happened there. But from her perspective, she didn't think, oh well, I'm fulfilling the prophets. Or She just came and she wanted to give and she gave it. Then others came and say, what a waste. You know, about this. Jesus said to Peter in another place, you never gave me anything. You never gave me anything. I came to your house, you didn't even wash my feet. Nothing. And there was a woman crying, washing the, the feet of Jesus with her tears. But he said to G- Jesus to Peter, you never gave me anything. But look at what they gave. You know, now you complain about their giving. Now, what this guy would do is he would say, look, and Jesus blessed her and she had favor with Jesus. So if you come with your alabaster blessing, and of course you must now give it to him. I mean... <laughs> then God's going to bless you. Financially, He's going to give you this breakthrough. And then He went on to say, if you don't want to do that, you can leave the building. I tell you, I thought, Lord, can this guy please go back to the US? Because he's breaking the church. He's breaking the church. Then people left and He says, Jesus also did that. He removed people. Before he could do miracles. Now God's power can work because unbelief is out of the room. And there was about 1,500 people shouting, Amen, when he preached. I said, Lord Jesus. I tell you, I cried. I sat there, I cried. Not because of him getting money. Let him be as rich as what he can be. What bothered me is, what does those people believe about God? What do they believe about who God is? The character of a father that cares. That was willing to give his son while people were sinners. You know what? And God is so faithful. I sat there. I said, Lord, what do, you, what, what do I say, say to that? You know the first thing God tells me? comes to my mind. I believe it's by the Holy Spirit. He says, who was my disciple? He just came clear. Who was my disciple? I said, Peter was the disciple. He said, who was the one that I entrusted with the word? The one that gave or the one that gave nothing? No, Peter. He didn't give a cent. Stingy. But God said, go preach my... Tend to the flock. 
preach the gospel. You know, because God was not looking what was in it for him in the money when he looked at, the, at people to entrust him with the gospel. For the value of a person is determined by Jesus, not by what he can give to a church. I'm not saying one should not give. I'm saying if you feel in your heart, listen, I want to give by the prompting of the righteousness that's inside you. Do it. Amen. That's the way the church functions. That's the way I function. That's the way we live. Do that. You know, don't, when you feel that come to your heart, without manipulation being the thing, without you wanting something from God, just naturally out of love, don't disobey who you really are. Live it. But don't under manipulation think you're going to get something from God if you do that. And I think it's time that people say that. You know, it's time that people say that. That people can hear the truth concerning that. If I give you a piece of chocolate and I break off 10%, you're going to say, listen, man, keep the chocolate. <laughs> keep the chocolate. But if I, if I give you the chocolate, you know, and you come later to me and say, listen, I want to, do you want a piece? Yeah, thanks. Because you wanted to give it. That's fine. But if I say, Here's a chocolate for you, but remember, I'm keeping the 10%. Listen, we don't function like that. We don't feel loved that way. But it's been preached that way. Well, the tithe actually speaks of Jesus Christ. It says, bring the tithe to the storehouse. And I've got a teaching on YouTube about that. You can go and search, Jesus Christ is the tithe. It says, bring the tithe to the storehouse, which is Jesus. And prove me herewith, if I will not open this tithe, which is Jesus, and pour out a blessing that we cannot contain. Jesus is that tithe. Who's the first fruit? Jesus was the first fruit. Who's the, who's the sacrificial lamb? It's Jesus. Who's, who's the scapegoat? It's Jesus. Now when it comes to tithing, why do you hit for your wallet? It's Jesus. He fulfilled everything. Hallelujah. And giving flows out of a generous heart. There's no one that gives like somebody that has felt the love of God and realized the value of people. Amen. And that is why God says He loves a cheerful giver. Because not fearful giving, cheerful giving. Not God is the mafia. You know, like, yeah, if, I, if you don't pay your tithes, I cannot guarantee your safety. You know, it's not... You can make a nice video on there. (laughs) So, we, we can't live like that. We can't have a father that we think he cares for us on that basis. We don't even care like that for our children. How do we provide for our children? If he asks us, we give him. That's enough. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. So maybe there's some of you, you, um, you've got a lot of money, you don't know how to manage it or whatever, we're going to pray for you that God gives you wisdom in, in how to, to do that, use that money wisely. We, for those of you that struggle, um, I'm going to pray right now that, that you will just hear the, the voice of the Lord concerning business and declare the blessing of God over your life. Father, I want to come right now in Jesus' mighty name. And every person here that's a businessman, every person that works for a salary, people don't even have a job, I thank you, Father, that you're the Father of us all. I thank you that you love us all. I thank you, Lord, that you meet our every need. 
There are people here with a need, Father, just for food and clothes. And we can rest so much. We don't even have to ask you for that. For you promised that. That's just who you are. There are people here that need wisdom concerning how to handle their money. I thank you, my God, that I can speak over their minds the wisdom of God. And they will know in this moment what to do, what business deal to take and which one not to take. I thank you for that unction of the Holy Spirit inside their hearts, inside their hearts which you've given us so that we can know what to do and how to do it in this world. Thank you that you assist us and love us in Jesus' mighty name. I declare by the power of the resurrected Christ every need is met in the sacrifice of Jesus. Not in our giving, but in your giving. I thank you, my God, that you say you meet our needs, not according to our tithing or our sowing and reaping, my Father, but according to your riches in glory by your Son, Jesus Christ. Therefore we know forever all our needs are met, and we rest in that, in Jesus' name. Amen. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Is there any questions about that? Maybe there's a question. Nothing? <laughs> Maybe you heard this for the first time. It might be, yeah, you know, but what if you sow sparingly and reap sparingly and what about all those things, you know? Just go onto my website. I've got nice teachings on that. You know, if I start now, it's going to take another 45 minutes. So, th- just know this one thing. The beginning and the end is Jesus. It's the beginning and the end. And Jesus is the manifestation of the power of God in your life. And you've got access by faith into that grace. And what is faith? Faith is the Greek word persuasion. To be persuaded about something. Or it comes from the root word to be persuaded through a certain argument. So there's a certain argument that we reason and think and ponder about concerning every area of life. And that is God became a human being Obeyed represents the human race. Obeyed on all of us, on behalf of us, died on behalf of the lawman, so the lawman does not exist anymore, was resurrected by the Holy Spirit, and by faith we've got access into all that he has done. That's the whole gospel. All we do is we apply that in marriage, we apply that in finances, we apply that in every area of life. Spiritual warfare, truth, what is the truth? What? Every area we apply that. Amen. 1 John chapter 4, verse 7. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God, and everyone that loves is born of God and knows God. <clears throat> okay. Now, if I just read that, you can already feel I come short. <clears throat> let us love one another, for God's a God of love. So, so many times what we hear... I can just, I remember the first time I read it was like, okay, God's a God of love. He's my example. So what I must now try to do is to copy what He does. And love the way He loves. But that's not what the Scripture says. It's actually pointing to who you really are. And pointing to the natural you. Because what it says is, it says here, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God. And everyone that loves is born of God, and knows God. So he gives us the key to love. He says, let us love one another, for that is who God is. Then he tells us how we're going to get it right. He says, those who are born of God, and know God, they walk in love. So, 
we all here are born of God. But the understanding of who God is, is what will get your life into that manifestation of who you really are. Um, let me uh, put it this way. <clears throat> it's like, maybe you've heard this, this story. Two people, the one, they were traveling on a ship. Now, I'm making my own story. It's the, 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 from, from, say, London to New York. And uh, from, the, from the UK to New York. Here they go. They're on the ship. And they didn't have enough money. Christians, they're struggling. So they're taking, they saved up these preachers. They're going to go to some conference somewhere. So they're on the ship. It takes about a week with a ship from the one side to the other side. And there they're on the ship. And they say, well, we're going to fast, you know. Because we don't have money to buy food on the ship. And so they were fasting the whole week, just drinking water. And they came to the other side, and thank God they've made it. They feel very spiritual. They fasted. So they came to the... Um, the captain was standing at the at where you go off the ship and greeting everybody. He says, You guys, where do you come from? He says, No, we, we, we left off with you guys. Says, but I've never seen you, you know, at the place where we eat, in the restaurant. He says, You know, as a matter of fact, we didn't have money and to, to buy food. He says, Man, but that was included in the price. <laughs> you see, they already possessed the ticket. They already had the right, but their understanding of what they had determined their actions. So when you have believed, <laughs> when you believe on Jesus, oh, that's a bummer. Eh? <laughs> yeah, it's like, man, I mean, can I just drive back, please? <laughs> just give me my food and I can get off the ship. So it's like, I've missed out. It's the same way, and that's what he says there. He says, those that are born of God and knows God, they see the manifestation of love in their lives. So, yes, when you believed on Jesus, the Holy Spirit recreated your human spirit. You were made brand new. Okay, I believe that. When Jesus, and I want to just say this, there's a place where we believe in what Christ has done and that influences our life. And there was things Christ did that didn't need your faith. What Christ did without your faith was fulfill the law. And He took the law away from between man and God. If you believe it or not, it doesn't matter. That has come to every man, to the whole human race. If you don't need faith, you've been included into that. When Jesus came as a man, representing man, He, he took the whole law away. And then for the first time, man had a choice. Because under the old covenant, you didn't have a choice. There was only the law. For Jesus was never manifested. Then Christ came and He took the, the, the covenant of law between God and man away. That you can stand in a place not under the law. That you can choose to believe in Christ. That's the way I understand the gospel. The simplicity of it. And that's where faith comes in. Where the Bible says we've got access into this grace by faith. But the Bible also says that we are already rooted in the love of God. So, every person stands in this love of God. So, when God looks at every man, He doesn't look at man through the Ten Commandments or any law. He doesn't. He just looks at him in one way. I've paid for his sins. I've died for his sins. I've removed his sins from him already 2,000 years ago. Does he accept this or not? That's it. To me, that's the gospel. 
That's, it's like the, 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 the banqueting table. The, the, the guest that was invited, the table was set, the place was set, the food was bought, everything was done. He didn't need any faith, the guy that was invited, for that to happen. It was by the faith of the owner, not the faith of the man. But when the people went out and gave out the invitations, their faith determined if they made use of what his faith has accomplished. And that's it. That's why it's so important to bring the gospel clear. Because a mixed gospel makes the people don't want to believe. But a very good message makes people believe. Amen. For faith comes through that word. So, it's important to know who God really is. Because through that, our lives will come to the place of manifestation. It's like yesterday I spoke to somebody that's... um, His wife left him now and she's gone now for a couple of weeks. And, man, this guy... You know, you can see this, this, this hard guy, you know, but he's crying. And she was always fighting with his wife and, and whatever and whatever. Now, eventually she left. So you can see his heart sore, you know, and he's biting his lip and whatever. And I, I talked to him. And so he said to me, now he's going to work at his marriage now. I said to him, my friend, that's not going to work. That's not going to work. The last thing you must do is try to work in your marriage. What you need to do is get an understanding of who you are in Christ. You need a revelation of who you really are. Without even thinking of changing anything. Here. When she sees Christ in you, she'll fall in love with you again. That's it. Because how can you not fall in love with who Jesus is? And don't try to copy Jesus. Let Christ live in you. And the only way that can come is through an accurate knowledge of who you really are. And that will bring forth the love of God. God will love her through you. And you'll feel the love of God. That's how simple it is. It sounds, but that's so difficult. No. Just go, sit down, read the Word, know what Christ says about you, think on that, and you will see that that manifests in your life. That manifests in your life. So... Yes, the good news is Jesus has removed the law forever. The law has been fulfilled. But by faith we enter into the promised land, which is the immortal life, you know, which is at the return of Jesus Christ. Everybody's so scared of the judgment and all those type of things. Well, we are not scared, for we know that we have all, we've received the Holy Spirit as the proof that we're already qualified. Amen. So here it says, we will love when, when we know God. Now let's go to um, Jeremiah. Jeremiah, chapter 9. Jeremiah, chapter 9. And verse 23. This morning, after the service, somebody came to me. I said to him, he started speaking about the message. So I said to him, what about this scripture and what about that scripture? You know, because he agrees. So I said to him, but I use this scripture, what do you think of that? He says, you know, I've never read that scripture, but it doesn't matter. Because I feel a yoke that fell off me. So I don't care, even if your context was correct. I don't feel a yoke anymore. I felt a freedom. And to me, that must be God. 
Hallelujah. So, I want to say to you, if you sit here, maybe you've, you've, you've never heard it this way. If you sit here, my friend, if you feel that this, if this can just be true, it would be wonderful. You know? I want to tell you good news. It is the only truth and all other things was not true. This is the only truth. Jeremiah 9 verse 23. Remember it says, you'll be born of God and know God. Now, verse, uh, uh, sorry, verse 24. It says, but let him that glory, glory in this, that he understands and knows me. So if you want to glory, that word glory means to shine forth of what you want to show in life. If you want to show something in life, show this, that you understand and know me. The word understand there in the Hebrew means the ability to take something apart and put it back together again. To know how things fit together. So, if you want to say something, if you want to portray something, verse 23 says, don't say how rich you are, or how clever you are, or how much power you have. Don't talk about that. If you want to make a statement in this world, this is the statement you, and you want to, this is the best statement you can ever make, is that I understand God, and that I know God. Many people say, you know, we can never know the ways of God. Because, in Afrikaans, die weer van die Heere is duister. I don't know how to put that in English. Yes, isn't Afrikaans powerful? Huh? The ways of the Lord is, is like dark. Mysterious. Mysterious, yeah. The way of the Heere is duister. Hmm? No, the Bible says that in Him is light and no darkness. He is light and in Him there is no darkness. So His ways is not dark. But when you look at that scripture, I think it's taken from Jeremiah, what it says is that the ways of God is higher than our ways. For the ways of man is, if you've done this thing wrong, you're going to pay for it. But the ways of God is, I want to forgive you. That's why it says the ways of God's higher than our ways. And that thing has been changed around and we think that God's ways is higher. He will mysteriously punish you Kill your dog, steal your car, let somebody break into your house to teach you something. Because he's got some mysterious thing where he's going to teach you. And God's way is mysterious. We don't understand the way it is. It's just a principle. But if you give 10%, then you're going to be blessed. It's mysterious, but that's the way it is. You, you, and listen, I don't want to shoot down because maybe you believe that. So don't feel that you're, you, you, I mean, you're so in the wrong. All I want is, let's restore the character of God. Who He really is. Because you cannot believe in something that's warped. You cannot believe in something your mind tells you. You can't trust this person. I've seen people get married like that. The guy looks at that girl, he knows this girl is bad news. Marie is blunt, you know, becomes blind, blinded by I don't know what. And he looks, when he sees her, his heart says no. Even she feels this is not right. But they continue. And that thing, I feel this is not right. I've, I've got no peace. There, there's certain things that God has built into you which is warning signs to you. Which says if this guy has lied about you, or some people, I mean, they're still boyfriend and girlfriend and then the guy already cheats on her. 
He said, oh, you know, it's going to come right after we got married. Listen, man. You know you are lying to yourself. There's something inside you that says you can't trust somebody that cheats on you. You can't trust somebody that today tells you this and tomorrow does this. You can't trust somebody that's mysterious. All of a sudden, he says this, and for some mysterious reason, he did something different. And now you feel, I've got this full trust in him. Nobody can do that. Who can do that? When we go into business, we write a contract with the exact points on what must happen. Why? So that we can trust it. And so that we can give ourselves for it. Otherwise, you can't give yourself for it. In the same way, when we come with this mystical God, you know, that will for some mysterious reason, that's got principles that we don't understand, but that's the way it is. And if you don't do it that way, you know, his, his, his hand is chopped off, he can't help you. Like I said this morning, you know, God says, I will never leave you or forsake you only for the time in which I test you. (laughs) It doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense. You know, I remember when I was in school. I, 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 you know, I I did my first semester in university. And I had BSC geswat. Now, to will me wel ontgroen. To say, listen, I don't have time for that. I need to study. I could need be our curses I I'm studying something difficult here. <laughs> you know? So <laughs> says the engineer. <laughs> so I, I was I, I had to I sat there that stuff was so difficult. In the first week they give you five hundred pages. And then you write the test with the only that counts out of ten. You've got five hundred pages, the test is out of ten. You've got no chance. You've got no chance, my friend. You must know it all. Or you're not going to make it. So I studied. I tell you, I had gekoem. Only maths, it did niet. But the rest of all gekoem. Because I studied so hard. And it was fear-driven. And the professor that was so for me, only for an hour, became my enemy. Because he was testing me. And the very one that gave his everything to see me through was the one that could disqualify me. It gives you that feeling, like I said before in the army, the fact that the sergeant major is friendly doesn't make him your friend. (laughs) If you've been in the army, you know what I talk about. If he smiles, it means trouble, brother. You, You keep your distance all the time. And I was scared of the sergeant major even after I've left the army. <laughs> he's always sergeant major. If I see sergeant major van Jordan, I say, hello, Samayur. I don't care if he's out of the army. See me, he's Samayur van Jordan. That's the way it is. You know, because of that fear system. But now it comes to God, and we live with this concept of, you know, God's just going to test me, God's going to do something. He says, if you want to say something about God, if you want to say something, don't say that how rich you are, how much you possess, how clever you are, anything like that. Say that I understand God. And I know God. And there's two, two Hebrew words. Understand means they're both to put together or take apart. I know how God fits together. And that you know Him. That word know means to be intimate with Him. Same word as in, in, in um, Adam knew Eve. And they bore children. They got intimate. They say, listen, I understand God, and I've been intimate with God. 
if you want to say something about God. Then God goes on and says what you are allowed to say about Him. He says, I am the Lord God. He says, that, sorry, verse 24, but let him that wants to glory or portray something or say something, say this, that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord which exercise loving kindness. Now, isn't that powerful? <laughs> if you are not allowed to say anything else. If you want to go and make a bold statement about God, you don't have the permission of God to say anything but that He's a God of loving kindness. And then there's two other words that I will explain where He says judgment and righteousness. Which He, ex- that he says that He's a God that exercises loving kindness, judgment and righteousness in this earth for herein He delights. So you cannot say anything else than God's, that I've been intimate with God, I know God. So a person that loves, let's get back to the love thing, is a person that's born of God and knows God as a God of loving kindness, a God of judgment and a God of righteousness. Now, the thing when we hear the word judgment is when people become scared. God is a rechtvaardige God. Daarom kan hy die sonde nie ongestraft blad bly nie. Bless God. So he's a righteous God, so he will not let any sin, it says in Exodus, he will let no sin go unpunished. Because he's a righteous God. So when he punished sin in Jesus, what went unpunished? Because he's a righteous God. It would be unrighteous to punish some of the sins, like this guy, you know, if you think God's still going to punish you for some sin, you are saying listen man, I know Jesus is strong and everything and he's mighty and all of that, but he couldn't carry all my sins there's some left over that I have to carry (laughs) yeah, so you're going to fast and sort that out, put the flesh under, you know when I was when I was in the States, they said they said there no I tell you, those people like food. <laughs> they eat, man. Food, they eat. I mean, w- 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 yeah, when, when you get a cold drink, must it be 1.25 liter? I mean, it's like, please, man. It's too much. I can't take so much. You know, it's, it's, and then you drink half of it, when you leave, they fill it up. You go home with it like that. It's, it's like, and the burgers and the chips, and the, they throw away most of the food. So, uh, so I said to the one, I said, yes, you guys eat? They said, yes. You know, I said, um, you know, so we were talking and then they made this joke. They said, no. They know they must put the flesh under. When that stomach says, I can't take anything anymore, they say, I put you under, you shall eat. <laughs> you shall eat. <laughs> flesh, I put you under. You know, so in this, sometimes we, we live with this thing, if, well, I've got this flesh that I must now still try and put under. Jesus Christ said in Galatians chapter 5, through Paul, He said that when He died, the sinful man died with its passions. So that you don't have to lay down anything. You realize what He's done. So that you can stop being busy with nothing. like the one lady said, how will I break generational curses off my life? He says, I believe you can. Stop believing it. 
then you'll break it off your back. It's true. It is true in that person's life, and it is there. But the moment we believe the finished work, and how perfect we, we are, and we come to a place where you maybe feel those curses, or you feel a demon, or you feel whatever, say, Father, I thank you for my righteousness in Christ. And today I might make use of that, and like the guy on the boat, you realize that it was included in the ticket, and you go and have your meal. Amen. And you're not busy with your fast. I'm having my meal, thank you. You show your ticket and you eat with, uh, with, with, with boldness. And that is the way it is supposed to be when it comes to the things of Christ. Well, this has also been included in Jesus. So, I'm not going to try and fight the devil all the time. Well, I believe what he's done for me. I've seen people with demons. They come, they start to believe the gospel. I see them set free without casting devils out of them. Did they have a devil? Yes. But how did it get out? The light went in. That's how you get darkness out. Have you ever seen people bind the darkness when they go into the room? Darkness, I bind you. And I cast you out and then put on the light. No, you just put on the light. Then the darkness is out. Amen. In the same way. So when it comes to God, we can say, I know God as a God of loving kindness. And do you remember the definition for loving kindness? It is the, the characteristic of a person that delights in contributing to the happiness of others. Listen to this. That delights in contributing to the happiness of others, in granting their wishes, supplying their wants, and lifting their distresses. So what I spoke over her. That's the definition of loving kindness. He says, if you want to say anything about God, this is what you are allowed to say. You are allowed to say, I've been intimate with a God. When I look into His face and He's doing things for me, He finds great joy in contributing to my happiness. Great joy in contributing to my happiness. He's not saying, well, they've begged it off me now for so long, so let me give it now. God is not tolerating you. He's loving you. Sometimes we tolerate things. He's not tolerating, He loves you. So, what happens is, we can say, I see a God, I've been intimate with a God, that, that would exercise there, to exercise something in this world, is the Hebrew word that says, to make known in the wildest and broadest manner. So, you can say about God, I've been intimate and I understand God. The type of God He is, is a God that joyfully in the wildest and broadest manner, grants my wishes, <laughs> supply my wants, and lift my distresses. That's what you're allowed to say. Now, if that is where God says the conclusion will be, and you are in your study concerning God and who He is, and it's already contradicting what God allows you to say about Him, you can know you are wrong. Because contradicts the end thing that you're allowed to say. I'm not allowed to say here that God will not grant you your wishes. I'm not allowed to say here that God will not lift your distresses. I'm only allowed to say that He's a God of judgment that has judged the sin of the whole world in one man forevermore and through one sacrifice. In the, according to Hebrews 10.14, He has perfected forever them that are sanctified or those that believe. Forever perfected. 
forever. Through one sacrifice. All that I can say is that God is such a just God that will not let any sin go unpunished that you stand guiltless before God. It's all that I'm allowed to say. I'm not allowed to say anything else. And also righteousness. That He exercises righteousness in the earth. How did He exercise righteousness? Let's go to um, uh, uh, Romans chapter 4. I'm first going to say it, then I'll read a a bit about that. The way he exercised righteousness was by taking people, sinners, that stands guilty as sinners, that's got no righteousness, and to give them righteousness free from their works. (laughs) Declaring sinners righteous. So no, but how can God declare a sinner righteous? A sinner must first repent of all his sins, and when he's got no sin before God, then God can declare him righteous. That faith doesn't save you. The Bible says the faith that believes that God makes, justifies the ungodly. That faith is counted for righteousness. So what you need to believe is that God can bless a disobedient. If you can't believe that, then your faith is towards your own power and not towards God's ability to save a person. I hope you hear what I'm saying. Let's go to Romans 4. There's a scripture like that in the Bible. I want to say this. <clears throat> you know, in, in, in according to the, the basic principles of this world, now that's a big word for just the way this world functions, we listen to somebody and take his word as authority according to the size of his business or ministry. You know, let me give you an example. I went to places that makes movies, you know, or sells lighting for studios and those type of things when I still wanted to record for television. The cheapest system they wanted to sell me was like between 15 and 20,000 rand. The cheapest. And if you go to Hollywood and you look at the lights they use, you're never going to preach on television. It's too expensive. But then there's a guy that makes movies and I, and I was searching the internet and you know what he said to me? I, I, I emailed him, they emailed back. He says, use fluorescent lights. You know these normal fluorescent lights? And just a little bit of halogen to give a little bit of Warmth on your skin. And that is it. And showed me how to place the lights. Cost a thousand bucks. And when when I was broadcasting on Kubernetes Channel, my quality was of the highest. So the fact that he didn't have, that he wasn't Spielberg, doesn't make that what he said not right. So I want to say this, we must get away from this mentality of, Big is right. If big is right, you must become a Muslim. (laughs) They've got the biggest meetings. It's it's just like that. You know? So so big is not always right. And we we need to understand that. Right, what, what is right, the truth, is confirmed inside your spirit. If big was true then Paul was a failure. Paul, at the end of his life, <laughs> you know what he said? He was, he was teaching in the, in the school of, I think it's 
Tyrannus. He was teaching there. And the whole of Asia heard the gospel out of that school where he was teaching for two or three years. And then you read in the writings we write to Timothy, he says, I've got no more followers in Asia. What a success rate. Then he writes and he says, I send you Timothy, for I've got nobody else that believes what I believe. Timothy is a boy of 16 years. Imagine having a ministry. You've traveled places everywhere. After you going somebody preaching another gospel behind your back to break your work, that you come to a place where you say, I cannot boast in anything. There's no work that I've done which really stands. I'm struggling. I can't boast. My boasting has been taken away. But I don't have to prove this gospel. It doesn't make that it's not true. And I want to say that to you. Maybe we shouldn't, we're not sitting here 10,000 people or having a band or whatever. It doesn't change the truth. I tell you now, this is the truth of the gospel. It's the good news that testifies and witness in your heart. You can feel it's true. You can feel it doesn't make a demand on you. You can feel it brings you peace. It brings you the character of God. It brings you something that says this can only be God. No man can think up such a wonderful salvation plan. I can't think of that. It has been revealed to me. You couldn't think that up. It is God revealing it to you. Amen. And that is the truth. And thank God that, that we can be delivered from the law system, the world system that says, big is right. The law system that says, much money is the blessing of God. We, we, we can't live like that, man. Where churches become so commercialized that you must charge 400 rand a ticket to listen to a message. I tell you. Then they can sit 50,000 people. Make the sum. It's close to 20 million bucks. It's a business. And then we, but we don't see the ticket sales. We just see the crowds. And we hear and we say, it's big, it's blessed of God. I'm not saying small is blessed of God. <laughs> Please. Not big or small is blessed of God. The truth that liberates you, that witnesses, there's a resonance in your spirit about this is the good news. Hallelujah. And you know that. This is what it says in, in, in Romans 4. It says, What shall we say then? That Abraham our father, um, as, um, that Abraham our father as pertains to the flesh has found. Now what he's saying is, it's a very difficult King James way of saying, that Abraham received righteousness by his flesh. In other words, by his good works. For if Abram were justified by the works, he has something to glory about, but not before God. For, what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God and was counted unto him for righteousness. So what he says is, Abraham did find, you know, he was blessed. But we, Abraham cannot boast before God. Because if Abraham say, I've been so clever, look at what I've done, he can say that where God is not present. Because where God is present, God will say, it was not how clever you were, but it was my ability to bless a sinner. For you have not found according to the flesh. You have not found according to the law. It was me deciding to come to you while you were in your sins, making a promise to you before you've done anything good, before I even knew if you loved me, and saying, I will bless you. 
to a sinner. That's what blessed Abraham. Then Abraham believed that God can bless a sinner. <laughs> and was accounted to him for righteousness. Let's read on. This is what Abraham believed. Now, verse 4. Now to him that works is the reward not reckoned of grace but of debt. But to him that works not. Now listen to what we must believe. But believe on him that justifies the ungodly. So what do we need to believe? We need to believe on a God that justifies the ungodly. A God wat die ongodlike heilig en sien. Amen. Believe in a God that justifies the ungodly. When you believe in that, then that faith is accounted to you for righteousness. But the gospel that, we've, that has been preached is this gospel of God justifies the godly. God justifies, God loves the lovely. No, no, the Bible says sinners love the lovely. That's what the Bible says. It says, well, sinners would lend to sinners and receive as, as much back. So sinners can love sinners that do the right thing. But to love those that don't do good to you, that makes you righteous. So what makes God righteous, or our definition of righteous, or holy, or pious, is the ability that He has to be good to those that hate Him. The ability that can say the rain falls on the just and the unjust. That is the good news of Jesus Christ. And now what we do is, as sinners, people that has never believed on Christ, we come knowing our inability, saying, we now believe on a God that blesses the unrighteous and blesses the ungodly. And now we receive His blessing. And what is His blessing? His blessing is righteousness. So now I've been made righteous. How? By a God that justifies the ungodly. So what God are we supposed to believe in? What God are we supposed to portray before people? A God that justifies ungodly people. That's what we need to believe. Hallelujah. Let's go to Hebrews chapter 10. What's the time? Early. It's long now, broer. Tijd kom ik langer preek. this morning I preached in a church I think I preached for an hour and a half to me it felt like 15 minutes but I think for some of them not <laughs> Hebrews Hebrews chapter 10 listen to this <clears throat> the room I said that the title will be the truth what is the truth <clears throat> For the law having a shadow of the good things to come and not the very image of the things can never with those sacrifices which they offer year by year continually make the comers thereunto perfect. For then would they not have ceased to be offered? Now listen. This, this sounds very complicated. It's very easy. He says, listen, the sacrifices under the law. Let's use it New Testament terminology that we can understand. The things you think you must do for God. That little list of things you've got. So that God can smile over your life. If that could make you perfect, why must you now do it all the time? 
Because if it could have made you perfect, you, would, you, you just do it once, then you will be perfect. But the, the, and that's why, what I also say now, for, forgive me for getting back to tithing. If tithing worked, and you could tithe and could prosper you, then you only would have done it once. Then you would have been perfected in finances forever. But because it doesn't work, that's why you must do it again. And again. And this is what it says here. Through those sacrifices, and there were many sacrifices it talks about here. The first fruit offering, there's this sacrifice. That, if that could make people perfect, then it would have ceased. You don't offer it again, for you have now been perfected. And how will you know you are perfect? The context here is the sacrifice for sin. If that animal that could be slaughtered, that, that you slaughtered, could, with that sacrifice, could make you righteous, and it worked, you would never go and want to sacrifice it again. Because you would have had no consciousness of your sin anymore. Because that one sacrifice would have been enough. Isn't it? Through one sacrifice. If that sacrifice worked, it would have stopped. But it never stopped. It continued and continued and continued. But then it talks about Jesus. He says he was sacrificed once for all. A perfect sacrifice. So that those that come to Christ can now have no more consciousness of sin. Imagine that place. <laughs> no more consciousness of sin. It could never be attained under the Old Testament. It was impossible. The Bible says, grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. That means that before Jesus came, there was no truth. Now listen, let's make it simple. Somebody dropped books here that I must take to Kenya. Those books came by that guy. Before that guy brought the books, those books weren't here. Because it came by <coughs> Transworld. He brought it. Before he brought it, it wasn't here. You can say, it is here, it is here, it is here. You're just making a noise. It's not here. The Bible says, grace and truth came by Jesus. That means in the Old Testament there was no grace. This teaching of there was grace from Adam, uh, Abraham lived under grace. Rubbish. Grace came by Jesus. When Adam sinned, there was no grace until Jesus. When Jesus came, there, there, then grace came and truth came. Before that there was no truth. Now, here comes Jesus he, uh, in, in, in um, John chapter 4. A woman at the well. He speaks to her. He gives her a word. Whatever. He says, I behold you're a prophet. Talks to her. Then he says, the true worshippers will not worship here and there and whatever. But the true worshippers will worship the Father. How? In spirit with a small s. And in truth. So, he says, for the Father is seeking people to worship Him that way, and now it is beginning. So, before that, nobody could worship the Father in truth. Nobody. Not even David. No one. 
God was seeking people to worship Him in truth. So He said, let me bring truth so that worship could be in truth. Now we think worship is singing. Worship is not singing, it is singing is singing. The worship the Bible talks about, we've seen praise as fast songs and worship as slow songs. That is not, that is singing. Fast songs and slow songs. Now let's understand the terminology. You know, <laughs> let's understand the terminology. I understand our terminology. We talk about praise and worship. I will also talk about that. But that was not the New Testament terminology. The New Testament terminology of a worshipper was not a singer, but a follower or a believer. So what he says is, he wants the believers to believe in God and have a relationship with God in truth. Because people are not having a relationship with God in truth. And then Jesus came, when Jesus came, truth came. Jesus said, He is the truth. Now, what is a worshipper? A worshipper is somebody who believes or follows. Hebrews chapter 10. Let's go there again. For the law, having a shadow of the good things to come, verse 1, and not the very image of the things, can never with those sacrifices they offered, year by year, continually make the comers there unto perfect. That word comers is also in other translations, the worshippers. For then would they have not have ceased to be offered, because that the worshippers, once purged, should have no more conscience of sins. The worshippers, once purged, now listen, in the Old Testament there was a continual purging by sacrifices. And the more you do it, then you, 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 uh, um, you, know, you feel better for a while. But then you come back because that sacrifice couldn't really make you clean. You start to get conscious of your sins because there's a list of rules that's kept in front of your face and you see your sin again, then you sacrifice again. The ability to worship God in truth did not exist then because truth came by Jesus. He is the truth. He was the only true sacrifice. So, when we worship in truth, we worship in a consciousness of what Christ has done unto no consciousness of sin. And that is true worship. You come, oh God, you know, I'm just a sinner. You know, or you're a follower of God and you think, that um, I've got shortcomings and I need to correct these shortcomings, then I will open the heavens and God will bless me. Listen, my friend, you're not worshipping in truth. You're not worshipping in truth. You're worshipping in what the Old Testament people worshipped because they were conscious of their shortcomings. Listen, when you come before God, let's take finances, and you've got a need, do you come with a consciousness of what you've done wrong to correct your need? To correct your situation? We don't come like that. We come with a consciousness of, when I'm going to talk to God about my money, I'm not going to, he, He's not going to point out, you're wrong here, you haven't done that, you haven't done that, you haven't done that. All He's going to point out is the perfection of one sacrifice by which you are blessed forever. Hallelujah. That's worshipping in truth. My God concerning my marriage, what about what he will point out is the perfection you stood up into when Jesus was raised from the dead. Remember we talked about spiritual warfare. It says, be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. What is His mighty power? Uh, uh, Ephesians chapter 1 verse 18. We were raised with Him from death unto life. 
So, let's be strong in the message that we have been raised from death, the system of death, which was written and engraved on stones, according to 2 Corinthians 3 verse 6. We've been raised from that system unto a system where the life of God is now my life. And the perfection of Christ became my perfection. And let's be strong in that resurrection power. When we are strong in that resurrection power, then we are at a safe place when it comes to spiritual warfare. Hallelujah. A safe place in spiritual warfare is not to study some book that tells you about the, 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 the sixth authority and the twentieth authority of, of the devil. That's not the safe place. The safe place is to know the highest authority, which is Christ. It's like I, I, I love what Ed, Ed Elliot once said. He said he, he, he stopped at a place and somebody said to him, I think many preachers said this, say this to them, but hallelujah. So he said, um, he stopped this place, people said to him in Zambia or somewhere, do you feel the oppression? He says, no. What do you mean? He says, you know, this city here is really a spirit of this. He says, well, I just feel the Holy Spirit. <laughs> see, it depends where you look. You know? <laughs> if you want to see the devil, you'll see the devil because there's devils, man. But where do you look? What, you, what is your reality? In what are you worshipping? In what are you following? Are you a follower of God in, the, in, in believing in the name of Jesus for salvation and mixing it with the law message of do's and don'ts? That do's and don'ts will never save you. It can never make you holy. It is not even... And listen, the best thing I've ever heard was, but we at least need some guidelines. Just some guidelines, you know? Listen, I know God will live in us. I know God will make me righteous. I know it's Christ in me and everything, but let's just have some guidelines. It's like saying, God, I know you are God, but just to make sure you stay holy, let me just give you some guidelines. Isn't it? For it's not me who love, it's Christ who lives in me, needing no guidelines. The person of God is not warped. He's not tomorrow going to start to sin. He's not tomorrow going to lust after women and want to kill someone and steal somebody's money so that we need guidelines. So what we do is, the only guideline we have is this. He obeyed on my behalf, removed all my sins forevermore. I was raised with Him in newness of life and the very life of God is mine. That's the only guideline. Amen. God, now you live in me. That's the good news. <laughs> Amen. I thank God that we can worship Him in truth with no consciousness of sin. I want to tell you, the only reason why you are conscious of sins is because of a lack of understanding of what Christ has done for you. I don't say that in an ugly way, saying, oh, yeah, you're dumb I'm not saying that. What I'm saying is simply, listen, there's things we can know about God. There's things we can know about who we are. Sometimes, not sometimes, it takes time to learn those things and to get our minds renewed into that. God's not going to come and say, oh, you don't understand at all, so let me punish you. <laughs> it's like my child. Now I come, he is my son. Okay? He's everything. Now, it's like me saying to, 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 um, to my youngest boy there, oh, so you didn't take the car and go and buy groceries. 
Uh huh. But you say you're a son. He doesn't have a license. He cannot drive. So in the same way, God is not a fool. He knows what you know. And maybe you've only known law, you've known judgment, you've known the do's and don'ts message, but thank God, God is not judging you for knowing the wrong thing. He knows how you got there, He knows why you are there, He knows all of that. But now He's teaching you something better. Now you can grab it, say, thank you Jesus. This is the free good news message, I grab it, I don't look back. The Bible says those that need wisdom ask of God, who liberally gives and He abradeth not. It means He doesn't look back. To look back, what, what would God look back unto if He looks back? He would look back unto the law. So whenever God gives you wisdom, He doesn't look back to the law. If it comes to your finances when, and God wants to give you wisdom, He's not going to look back to the old system in Malachi. He looks to the resurrected Christ and gives you your advice. Amen. When it comes to your healing, what does He look at? He look, looked at the stripes of Jesus and where He took your punishment and your sickness. And from there He gives you your advice. Thank you, my God. Hallelujah. Now we know what the truth is. So, if you want to say something about God, we can only speak the truth about God. What is the truth about God? The truth about God is that He's a God of loving kindness. He, in the wildest and broadest manner, I don't know who of you has ever been to Vic Falls, when it's in flood. (laughs) It's wide, about two kilometers. It's broad, and it's wild. You don't play there on the waterfall side. I see some people swim there. Foolish, man. You don't swim there. <laughs> you know, get to the swimming pool. Because you're going to die there. That thing is too powerful. I mean, when you stand there in the flood season, you can feel the earth shake with the force of that water. Now, that cannot be compared to the broadness and the wildness of God's ability and willingness by which He made known His loving kindness 2,000 years ago. So that is the truth. When we walk in the truth, what is the truth? The truth is all my sins have been paid for. The truth is I can never be guilty before God ever again because I stand in the perfection of Christ. For those of you who have never heard the scriptures, I I quote it every time, Romans 5.19, through the disobedience of one man, Many were made sinners. So in the same way through the obedience of one. Shall many be made righteous. Hallelujah. <laughs> so it was not, it's like I said to that one, one biker friend that was drunk. He said to me, uh, you know, we're talking. He said to me, why don't you judge me for drinking? And I said, and I've, I've told you this, I said to him, because the God I served made, made wine at the wedding after the people were drunk. So why will I now <laughs> condemn you? He made wine for drunk people. Well, moan with the Holy Spirit why he's put that in the Bible. But it is there. So I said, I can't judge you. For the one I know is also a winemaker. He's made wine. So I'm not yet to judge about your sins. So he said to me, yes, but you know, now he starts to preach at me. He says, yeah, but we're not supposed to sin. <laughs> I said to him, my friend, I'm not drunk there. I didn't sin. I'm sober, spreading the gospel. Now he preaches to me, yeah, but we're not supposed to sin. Being drunk. So I said to him, listen, let me tell you something. I've got news for you. 
It is not your sin that made you a sinner. He said, what do you mean? I said, Adam sinned. Then you became a sinner. Do you agree? He says, yeah, that's not right. <laughs> that's not right. I said, but I've got good news for you. It's not your good works that makes you righteous. Another man obeyed on your behalf. He said, that's good news. <laughs> but that's the gospel. People, that is the gospel. <laughs> what else is there? Paul says, I don't want to know anything but Christ. I don't want to know five steps to this and three steps there. I only want to know Christ. The, the grace of God. The word grace is the word influence. Influence comes in two ways. You get influence on the human race, which is Jesus died for us all. Then you get grace on every person. Where Paul says, I pray that the grace of God will be multiplied unto you. That grace is the word influence. How God influenced us. So the gospel is not about how we must influence the world. The gospel is how God influenced the world through the obedience of one man. What grace did Adam have on the whole world? The word influence is the word grace. Adam influenced the whole world. In the same way I want to tell you, God influenced the whole world in one act of obedience of Jesus. And that is the gospel we preach unto sinners. That's what I'll preach at this leaders' conference. Some of the leaders, they're going to sit there with eyes big, but thank you, Jesus. You know, for the grace of God, they will believe. They will believe. I'm not there to make enemies. I know Jesus said, I didn't come to bring peace, but the sword. He says that. First he says, peace on earth, goodwill towards man. That peace is the peace that Jesus declares for every man. Then he says, listen, but I want you to know, when you preach this, there will be people that persecute you. For righteousness sake. Persecuting for righteousness. Why do you persecute people for righteousness? Because he declares the righteousness of man. Through what Jesus Christ has done. Free from his works. Then the disciples were persecuted for this message. Do you know Paul the Apostle came to a place. We can be so convinced about this good news. We, we, like Paul was, we came where he said, my gospel. My gospel. Listen, you've got your gospels. I've got my gospel. I tell you, my gospel is the gospel of God. Now that is something, man. And then what he's got to show for it is only Timothy. <laughs> All the other people did believe it, then they changed. Now imagine that. You preach, people say, no, I did believe that grace message, but I'm now back to the real thing now, the law. Now you say, well, I've got nothing to prove. What I know is, when I preached it, it was with great power. It was. But it's not lasting. Because somebody came after me, preaching another message. You should have called him a curse. Paul actually says, you know, when I came to you, I did it for free. I didn't even ask you money. But the guy that came after you, that puts the law on you, you even paid him a lot of money. Hey! He said, I worked with my own hands. Because I didn't want to be a burden to you, so it can be a stumbling block for the gospel. Because maybe you think I'm in this for money, and just that thought can maybe rob you of what I really want to say to you. It's so valuable that you can know this truth. And he said that while he had needs, man. But he said, I'll work. He didn't sleep. He worked the whole day, at night he preached. That's what he said. He said, and after I've given my life in such a way to all of you declaring who you are in Christ, this free gospel, people came in after me to devour the sheep. And they came in as the great apostles of God. Demanding care from you. 
And you had to give to them and serve them and all that. And then you still believed them that put you under a burden. Then Paul says, look at my life. Look at what I've done. Showing you the love of God. And then he says, but I come, I come back to you with a great expectation that you will be believing this good news. Maybe you've gone away now, but I write you this letter and I've got the greatest expectation that when I come to you, I'll only see the best. Man, that's love. That is love. That's the goodness of God manifesting in a human being. We can come to a place, we are so radical about this message. We can say, this is who I really am. It's not just knowledge. It's not just, I'm happy quickly. It is the truth. We've made up our mind. There's nothing more. There's nothing less. This is the gospel of, not Bertie. It's not the gospel of John or Mary or whoever. It's the gospel of Jesus. Now let me use another word of there. The gospel concerning Jesus. Amen. And when it concerns Jesus, it concerns you for he's he's your representative. Amen. Let's end off in Ephesians chapter 6. We are in our series on spiritual warfare. It says in verse 13, Therefore take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. That word evil is the word labors or hard work. In other words, in the day when you get tempted with works of the law again, you can withstand. And having done all to stand, verse 14, Stand therefore, having your loins girt about with truth. So, the loins girt about with truth means the power for you to, to bear fruit. Okay? That's the loins. Abraham was still, or, or, or um, Levi was still in the loins of Abraham when he paid tithes. So, it talks about seed. It talks about the ability to bear fruit. He says, protect your ability to bear fruit by the truth. I've talked about truth now. No consciousness of sin. Because the moment you get a consciousness of sin, you cannot bear fruit. When you get a consciousness of shortcomings, you cannot bear fruit. Remember the seed was sown in the, amongst the weeds. And then Jesus explained what it is. It is the cares of this world. Well, I've got a shortcoming here. I don't have the right car. I don't have the right this. The cares of this world, I must live up to this standard. I must live up. I'm shortcoming, shortcoming, shortcoming. When you're conscious of all of that, you will find you cannot bear fruit. And the attack of Satan is to get you conscious of your shortcomings so that you cannot bear fruit. And now it says, protect your ability to bear fruit. Now, what is the, how do we bear fruit? It's very easy. Romans chapter 7 verse 1. He says, I have, um, he, he says that if a husband is married with a wife, she, if, she, if he's married, she cannot just go and be married to another unless the husband has died. But if the husband has died, you can be married to another. He says, in the same way, Jesus came and died as the man of the law. So that we now can be married to Christ. So that we can bear much fruit. So, how do we bear fruit? In understanding our union with Christ. In understanding our perfection in Christ. Out of that belief, we bear fruit. We cannot bear fruit out of a shortcoming mentality, thinking I'm going to bear fruit. It is the fake it till you make it ministry. It's not going to 
produce the fruit. It's just going to look like the real thing. It's going to be, like I preached the the one place there, it's going to look like a Rolex, it's going to weigh like a Rolex, it's going to smell like a Rolex, but it's not going to be a Rolex. Because it's a genuine fake. It doesn't help be busy with genuinely faking, having the real fake thing. You can't see the difference in the good work. The only difference is, this one, the origin of the one is the revelation of Christ in you. The origin of the other one is obedience to Scriptures, thinking it's a command of God. 